Good morning. It's good to see you, Southwoods. Glad that you made it this morning. And isn't it wonderful that it's not uh, six degrees outside? So praise God for that. It's, it's like summer, what it feels like. Saw some people walk in in shorts this morning. That's maybe a little more faith than I have, but I think that's cool. The, um, the Bible describes creation this way. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Don't say anything, just reflect on it. Is that true? Is it true? Let me share with you the belief of many in our day. In the beginning, there were microscopic particles. And somehow, over vast eons of time, those particles became complex, living, loving, interdependent, intelligent beings. And somehow, those living beings began to imagine God. Is that true? You know, it takes a lot of faith, in my opinion, to believe that we're the product of particles. But thankfully, the Bible makes it really clear from page 1, verse 1 of the Bible, that there was a creator, a divine sculptor, a sovereign and brilliant designer, an architect and builder of everything that we see, our blood clots because he's brilliant and doesn't simultaneously shut down our heart. You know, I... I on a microscopic level and on a macroscopic, it's unbelievable the things that are true of our world because we have a brilliant designer and because Genesis 1 tells us, verse 1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you can believe that or not, and it is a choice that God has given each of us to make, but the fact is the Bible begins there because from its perspective... It's inconceivable, it's ridiculous, it's absurd to think that we came from anything other than the mind and the power of someone way beyond us. Creation, because of that, tells us a whole lot about God. It's not just about the creation of things and in the beginning of animals and so forth. You know, we love our dogs. It was not just the creation of our dogs and, and so forth as much as we, we enjoy all of that. But creation was a whole lot more than that. It tells us a lot about God himself, and we're wise to pay attention to it. And so for the next few minutes this morning, we're going to look together at a portion of the biblical account, the biblical record of creation. And here's what we're going to see together as we look at this uh, in Scripture. We're going to see that the Bible reveals a number of insights into what really matters to God. See, the Bible tells us a whole lot that matters to God, but, but here's the thing. The, the detail of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the Revelation, sometimes in the detail we get lost of some of the primary things that are fundamentally important to God. And these things show up in creation at the very beginning. It's the framework of life that we just take for granted often. And so for the next few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the creation record, and I want to spotlight for you four insights 
into what really matters to God. And if you'll make note of these mentally as well, you may want to write them down. They're, they're worthy of your reflection, worthy of your contemplation, uh, because a whole lot else that you will read in Scripture fits within this framework. Without this framework, there's a lot of other things that don't make sense. So uh, let's talk about those four insights for the next few minutes and reflect on them together. The first insight into what really matters to God shows up early on in Genesis 2. Open your Bible to Genesis 2 with me. Genesis 1 is the first book of the Bible, the first chapter, and Genesis 2 is the second chapter of the first book. So start, uh, start there with me. We're going to start at verse 8. What we're going to see is what really matters to God is that freedom matters to God. Freedom matters a lot to God. If you look at verse 8 of Genesis 2, the scriptures say that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down to verse 15. We'll continue. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Now, just pause for a second. What you think of this? God put man in the garden of Eden to do what? To attend it and watch over it. Exactly. That's what he put him there for. It says it real. We don't have to guess. He tells us. Verse 16, but the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. There are Many, many trees in this garden, the text is telling us, but there are two trees of, of supreme importance and significance, one of which is the tree of life, right in dead center of the garden. Right next to it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here's, here's part of why God tells us these things, because it matters which tree you eat from. It matters. And here's the thing. What seems to you and me to be a limitation, you know, like God is saying, you can eat from any tree, except that what seems to us to be a limitation is, in fact, a blessing from God. It's a gift. God was granting you and me, Adam and Eve, the freedom of choice, the freedom of self-determination by this choice. Because where there is no choice, there is no freedom. So Adam and Eve were given the choice. Would they obey? Would they not? It reveals to us from the beginning, God did not make you and me to be mind-numb robots. He did not make us like the animal kingdom, instinctual by nature. Do we have certain animal appetites? Like animals? Sure. But that's not our primary nature. That's our baser nature. We have been made and elevated to a place of superiority over all the animal kingdom. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We, we were made to rule and reign over the entire created realm. This was what we were made for God, for the purpose, made by God to do. And we were not made to be yes men, yes women. We were made to be free, to be free. And it was illustrated right here in the text when God gave us the freedom to choose. Would we, would we listen to his instruction or not? Freedom matters to God. Second thing we see in the text that matters greatly to God, that creation reveals that companionship 
matters to God. Look down at verse 18 in that same chapter 2 of Genesis. It goes on and says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. Now let's pause right there. This is the portion that's real chronological in the way it happens here. Very, very synchronous. Um, who was created first before we read on? It's just a little test. Adam, man, was created first. Remember, we'll see here in just a few moments. Eve was taken out of me. And so uh, who was it that God instructed in verse 17 to avoid the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Who did he instruct? Adam. Eve wasn't even on the scene yet. Okay? Eve wasn't there. You'll see why that matters. Verse 18 again. It's not good for the man to be alone, the Lord God said. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Notice freedom. Just giving him freedom of choice. Adam's name. The man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but there still was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord took out of one of his... The man's ribs took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone of my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains. Why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You know, this passage is the foundation. It's the description of the very first marriage. I mean, literally, I mean, literally, there is one man and one woman, and actually they're standing on the opposite sides usually, if I remember correctly, and... Uh, and there's God at the very first marriage. It's important you think about this. Marriage was defined at that moment by the one who created it. It did not originate in the mind of Adam. It did not originate in the mind of Eve. It did not originate in the mind of a government. It was not a product of society. It was a product of a God who loved and for whom companionship was a high priority. It mattered to him. I always loved what uh, one author has uh, written. Woman was created from the rib of man. She was not made from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled on. She was made from his side to be his companion, from under his arm to be protected by him, from near his heart to be loved by him. It's just a statement that companionship matters greatly to God. We see it right there in the garden. We see it in the very beginning that freedom matters to God, companionship matters to God. There's another insight that just flows right out of this whole creation account. It just reveals that obedience matters to God as well, though. Skip on to Genesis chapter 3. 
and pick up with verse 1 where the scripture says that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, wait a second. Did God say don't touch the tree? No. That's not what he said. But was Eve there to even hear it? Answer? No. no. She was not. Where would she get this from? Adam. Adam. Presumably, Adam looked at things and thought, uh, okay, well, since we're not supposed to eat it, let's just not eat. Eve, just don't even touch it. Don't even touch it. Don't even think about it. Just don't touch it. It's, it's like you see, even in the garden, and this was before sin, you know, this, this tendency that we have is already emerging. It's just maybe at this point a desire to obey and to honor God with our lives, but going a little further than God even instructed. So we've become, we've started putting limitations on things that God didn't put. How many limitations did God give? One. Don't eat from that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent says, verse 4, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Let's pause just right there. Just parenthetical thought. Is it not interesting that there's a fruit in the garden that when you eat it would bring wisdom to you? Did you notice that in the text? I mean, is that not fascinating? Maybe these fruit trees and vegetables and stuff that were a part of the garden, part of Eden before everything, all the corruption and things broke down, uh, maybe, maybe there was more than just physical nutrition. Maybe that actually contributed. You, you think, how much of our brain do scientists say we, we don't use? Maybe part of it is because we can't even feed it the right stuff anymore. Because that which could truly feed our brains, our souls, our spirits is withheld from us right now because we're not in Eden anymore. Scripture goes on and says, She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Verse 7, At that moment their eyes were opened. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. You know, at that moment, at that moment, broken fellowship with God, broken fellowship with one another began. Do you see this companionship, which was such a big deal to God, is now shattered. The first greatest commandment, what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now we're estranged from God. And now the second greatest commandment, love your neighbors yourself. Is there a neighbor closer than your spouse? Of course not. And now there's fracturing of the relationship there. The dominion of death and evil begins. Have you ever wished that you could undo a choice that you've made? 
You ever been in that situation? Maybe you bought a car. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you play fantasy football. You wish you would have started somebody else as the quarterback. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you wish you'd had more children. Or maybe after time you think, what were we thinking? I wish we'd had fewer. <laughs> and, you know, you love them, but, you know, if things go through your mind. It, I, w- I want you to think about this. Since obedience was important to God, there were consequences for choice. And, and we understand that to be true in every sphere of life. You make a choice to buy a certain car, you can't have another one because there's limited resources, right? And, or, or you decide to marry this person and you can't marry that person. You know, our, our world gets confused about this sometimes. We think, oh, but I can still be with that. No, that's... Choices have consequences is what, what our loving Heavenly Father has been trying to teach us. And since obedience matters to God, there are consequences for sin. And the rest of the Bible, if you were to read on throughout the rest of what you find, is that from this point on is evidence that there are consequences for sin. Unintended consequences. You think Adam and Eve knew that the day would come when some of the horrific things would happen? You think that they knew that there would be uh, genocide in our world? Did they understand that? No, they didn't understand that. Think that they knew that there'd be racism and that there'd be people utilizing money to manipulate and, and hurt other people? Do you suppose that they, that they imagine there would be those who have resources and would happily not help someone in need? Think they knew, could they imagine that? Could they imagine that not long after this, one of their own children would murder his brother? You th- did they see that coming? No. Here's the point. They didn't have to see that. And we don't have to see all the unintended consequences that come from our choices either. God does not have any obligation to tell us all of that. He's already told us. He's already told us, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you do, you'll surely die. And what happened was their spirits died in the moment they ate. And when they died, now they passed that problem on to their children and to their children's children and their children's children's children and all the way down to you and me. And all of history is the record of the unintended consequences of a choice. Every one of us has choices. And there are unintended consequences, and and here's the thing. The solution is not, God didn't tell me that. That's somehow our defense is really what that is. The solution is, obedience matters to God. And when he says, don't commit murder, guess what he means? Don't commit murder. That's not going to go anywhere you ever want to go. It's not a solution. It's not a viable solution. When he says, don't lie, what's he saying? He's saying, you're not going to like the implications of a lie. And don't steal and don't commit adultery and don't don't worship other gods because they're not real. And and on and on scripture goes and... Obedience matters greatly to God. 
And if we'll pause from our excuses and our, our complaints over all the unintended consequences of our choices often, uh, we'll see that obedience really matters to us if we pause. Think about it. So fourth insight that into what really matters to God that shows up in the early days of just creation account. And that is, uh, it shows up not just in creation, but really all of Scripture. And that is that you, me, and sinful people still matter to God. Adam and Eve still mattered to Him. He was grieved at what they did. If you read on in chapter 3, He stations a giant angel with a flaming sword. And I don't think it's talking metaphorically. I think it really did this. It's what the scripture indicates. And he sent Adam and Eve out of the garden east of Eden. And stationed the angel there to make sure that they didn't come back. Because at this point, it was a concern that they would eat from the tree of life and they would live forever in this fallen, broken, condemned kind of state. What we think of as a, as a, a judgment of God was actually a mercy of God. Can you imagine some of the turmoil, some of the traumas of the life that you and I live going on forever? I mean, it's the implications of it. But we see that you and I and sinful people still matter to God, and it shows up in Genesis 3, verse 21. Look at it. It says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins from Adam and Eve. If you look back at chapter 3, verse 7, Notice what Adam and Eve did right after they sinned. The moment their eyes were opened, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. God concluded that was insufficient. When mankind sins against Him, uh, you and I can't fix it. Only a holy, righteous God can do something about this. And so in verse 21... The Lord God made clothing from animal skins from Adam, for Adam and his wife. Now, why would God do that? Here's why. This was the first time that an innocent living being had to give its life so the shame and sins of someone guilty could be covered. Very first time in Scripture. It was the first expression of grace that shows up in the Bible. And the price, the payment made for the transgressions of another. Of course, as you read on in the rest of Scripture, that verse becomes many verses. And it becomes this ultimate picture of the cross. Where God himself takes upon himself flesh. And he does on earth the one thing that he can't do in heaven. He he dies as the payment for your sins and your mind, to cover our sins, to cleanse us from transgression, which we don't deserve any more than Adam and Eve deserved it. 
But remember, freedom mattered a lot to God, and companionship matters to God, and obedience matters to God. And so because of that, sacrifice mattered greatly to God because that was what it took, the cross. That's what it took to cover your sins and mine. It's important that we understand that on the cross, God was not dismissing our sins. God, God, God did not in some court of heavenly law say, oh, well, you know, just I'm going to dismiss this. It's let go on a technicality here. Somebody, Your transgressions and mine and Adam and Eve and the accumulation of all of us throughout time and history required someone to pay the penalty, and that is, in fact, what Jesus did. He stepped off of his throne into our flesh onto that cross to make the payment for sins that you and I could never make. ultimate expression of the fact that you matter to God far more than you understand. You know, in just a few moments, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together. And on a regular basis, we do that here. It's, we pass trays of bread and juice for any of you who may be new or uh, infrequent around here. The bread is a symbol of Jesus' body, which was nailed to the cross. The juice was a symbol of his blood, which was shed on that cross to cover our sins. And as those trays are passed in a few moments, what I want to encourage you to do today is to just take those moments and express to God your appreciation, your gratitude that he cares about you enough to cover your sin. He's not just concerned about the things that you've done or said. He's concerned about you, your eternal well-being. And the cross was all about him making it possible for you and me who've fallen short of his expectations and short of our own for that matter. Have an opportunity to be forgiven and cleansed and have life eternal because of him. So as trays are passed in just a few moments, the invitation is this, just for you to look heavenward and, and pray from your heart something like this. And just you pray with me in your spirit if you want to. Lord Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough to cover my sins. Thank you that you would die on a cross, that you would suffer as you suffered, that you would leave all the glories of heaven behind for the horrors of life on earth. Because I matter. Thank you. Spend a few moments talking to him about that. And understand that from the earliest days of creation, from day six of creation, God was demonstrating that kind of love toward all of us. Let's bow our heads and pray and our ushers will service the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, thank you. You care about us more than you care about uh, comfort and convenience, more than you care about 
retaining your glory and everybody knowing how important you are. Thank you that there was nothing more important to you than companionship with us. Thank you for that. While we were separated from you and enemies of yours because of our sin, you sent your one and only son to reconcile the guilty, to pay for the guilty and to reconcile us to you. Thank you that he took our sin upon him and you placed his righteousness on us. Help us, oh God, to understand that and to live this life with an awareness of that fact. Would you meet us in these moments as we share this time with you? We just express to you our gratitude, our eternal debt of gratitude. We lift this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, God banished mankind, Adam and Eve, east of Eden. And ever since that point, he's been in the process of making the way possible for all of us to return. Return to Eden. You know, we don't have time to go through all of the prophetic images, but there's this mighty angelic being placed on the east side of the garden to keep man from coming back to eat from the tree of life because it's not safe for him to eat in that condition. You think about it, when we were sinners, we were alienated from God, the scripture teaches us. But through Jesus Christ, he's made it possible for us to re-enter the garden. And when you look at scripture, the restoration of all things is really about the restoration of all of us back to Eden someday. That's what we're looking forward to. All of mankind is waiting for that moment. So uh, let's stand together. Let's pray. Let's thank God that Jesus has made a way. And uh, if you need prayer for something in your life, maybe you just know that you need more of his influence in your life. You need his cleansing. We want to pray with you about that. If you've never been baptized, we want to encourage you. We, we want to help you with that. The Bible teaches real clearly that baptism is, is you expressing your faith that Jesus died on your behalf. It's a physical act by where you declare that with your body, soul, and spirit in it. If you've never done that, uh, the Bible could not be more clear about that. We want to invite you to, to let us know, and we want to help you with that one of these days, okay? Let's bow our heads, pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Glad you made it this morning. Father, we thank you that you are good, that you love us, that you've made a way for sinful, errant people like us to be restored to relationship with you and to come back to you. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus who's made the way possible, the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to remove every stain, to claim us as yours. Thank you for that. You made us and you've again bought us out of sin and out of slavery to evil. We thank you for that. We thank you. We will now and forever. Would you go with us as we leave this place? May these things echo in our minds. May they fill us with joy. Every step that we take and every word that we speak, every place we go, may we be ambassadors of truth and hope and love wherever we go because that's what you've made us to be. Go with us now. It's in Jesus' precious and powerful name we pray. Amen.
bless you all.